Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. All right, so Mark chapter 16. I'm going to start off with the most confusing piece of the sermon because if you don't get this right, you're going to fall apart. So I need your minds fresh. I need, I need you guys. All right. So everybody dial in, pay attention. Cause if you miss this, the rest won't make sense. All right. So Mark chapter 16, if you look between verses eight and nine in your Bibles, there's a really, really, really good chance that your Bible says something along the lines of some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Now, some people read that and they're like, what in the world? Like, does this mean the Bible isn't trustworthy? Like, did people add to the Bible? And I'll just tell you this, the Bible is the most honest book. When there are discrepancies, the Bible just tells you. It's like, hey, this is, under, this is like a discrepancy. You need to see that. Because we're not trying to hide anything. So let me explain what most likely happened, Okay. Most likely, and I would give this like a 99.9% certainty for my end, right? Most likely, Mark ends at verse 8. But that is a really abrupt ending. People are like, that doesn't seem like that kind of feels like, an, like a, a hopeless end. So most likely, later on, there are scribes who are copying the scriptures. And they're like, are we missing something? Maybe we're missing something. So they took details from other gospels. Truthful things, like there's not any crazy doctrine out of this, but they took other details and tried to fill in the gaps to make a better ending. Because we want the story to be like a nice box with a bow on it. But as we discover more and more manuscripts closer and closer to the actual time that Mark has written, the earliest manuscripts don't have it. So it looks like, and like I said, I would give it a 99.9% certainty from, from my perspective, the book ends at verse 8, right? But this is what's crazy is verse eight is kind of like a weird ending. It's like, like I said, some people think it's, it's like a hopeless end. Now, imagine this. Let's say you go to Rome. You go to Rome and you're like, we're gonna go to the Vatican. So you go to the Vatican and you go to the Sistine Chapel. If you go to the Sistine Chapel, one of the most beautiful pictures you can see is the ceiling where between 1508 and 1512, Michelangelo painted nine scenes from Genesis, right? Now these nine scenes, I mean, this is the height of Renaissance art, okay? So in that, uh, there's, there's some people that might not have as many clothes as a parent would like for their kids to see. So imagine seeing that and going, he must have not finished the work. We should paint some clothes on those people. If you did that, you would ruin a masterpiece. And so I believe if we add on verses 19 through 20 to try to fix the masterpiece which is given to us, we're ruining it. It ends at verse 8. It's not it's not a hopeless end. It's actually an endless hope. And I want to show you how, right? It's so beautiful and so amazing, right? So let's, let's jump in, right? Mark chapter 16. Now, I, I'm a, are you, any TV show watchers out there? Anybody watch TV? Some of us, a few of us. Okay, I fall asleep all the time during shows. I'll be watching a show and just pass out. 30 minutes in, 40 minutes in, sometimes the last two minutes. And so every day, it's like a, it's like a new investigative story. I'm like, like, where did I fall asleep at? And I have to figure it out. It's a fun game to play. But I love when TV shows have this underappreciated move where they say, previously 
on such and such show. And you watch the show and you're like, okay, that's what happened. That's what I missed, okay? If we jump into chapter 16, I don't want you to be lost. So let me give you a previously, previously in the gospel of Mark. Here's what happens. Chapter one, Jesus just shows up. It's a, it's a really quick start. There's no genealogy, there's no birth account, there's no angels, there's no shepherds, there's no magi, or, like there's nothing. Just it starts off 30 year old Jesus on the scene. One of the first things he does is he gets baptized. He gets baptized and it says the heavens were torn open. I love that word torn. It doesn't say the heavens were open. It says they were torn open. So if you've ever ripped something, like a piece of clothing, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever blown out the elbow of a, of a shirt, but if you ever rip clothing and you try to sew it back, it doesn't work. It rips again. It's never the same. So this idea is, is that who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do makes it so the world will never be the same. It changes everything. So this is this beautiful start to the story saying what's about to happen is gonna change everything. So the first half of Mark is all about who Jesus is. So it starts off with Jesus healing people, forgiving people's sins, um, calming storms and, and casting out demons and doing all of these incredible things. And people are asking the question like, who is he? And that's a question that we've been asking for 2,000 years. Even today, if we just walked out in town and said, who do you think Jesus is? We'd get answers across the board. Some people are like, he's my homeboy. That's what Madonna said. Like, like so some people, he's their homeboy. He's a pop culture person. For other people, it's like, man, maybe you're a Mormon and you believe that he was, he was like God's first spirit child. Or maybe you're a Jehovah Witness. And you think he was a God, but not the God. Or maybe you're from Islam and you think that he was a prophet like Muhammad. Or maybe you're Hindu and believe that he was someone who was enlightened, but everybody has an opinion of who Jesus is. Even the atheist would say that he might've been a legend or a myth or he never existed at all or that we fabricated the story. Like everyone wants to know who is Jesus. So the first half of the gospel is trying to answer that question. Chapter eight, the middle point, 16 chapters. Chapter eight, we get the answer. We hear from Peter, one of Jesus's closest friends, he says, you are the Christ. And Jesus goes, yes, <laughs> yeah, like, yes, you got it right. I'm the Christ. So Jesus is the Christ. He's the savior of the world. He's the one that all of the Old Testament has been looking towards, the one that would save Israel, but not only Israel, the whole world. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ, all right? That's really, really, really good news. So now we have the answer. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ. The back half of the gospel, it pivots. The back half of the gospel focuses on what Jesus came to do. So we know who he is. He is the Christ. But what did he come to do? So now we, we start this journey in Mark from Galilee to Jerusalem. So it's Jesus walking along the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And people think if he's the Christ, if he's the Messiah, then he's gonna, he's gonna liberate us. We're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. He's gonna rise up a military movement and rise up, like, like he's gonna rise up this first song we sang. All right, so he's gonna rise up and we're gonna have a military movement. We're gonna overthrow the Roman Empire. People think it's gonna be like, we're gonna fight for this thing. And in that, Jesus makes a correction. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he's like, yes, I am the Messiah, but remember this Messiah comes as a suffering servant. 
So before I can be the victorious king, I have to die in your place. And so he sets the stage for what he came to do, to die the death that we deserved. So he comes into Jerusalem. It's a triumphant entry. Like people are laying down palm leaves. They're singing Hosanna, Hosanna. They see him as the person who is continuing the lineage of David. But then it all shifts. A couple days later, the crowds are no longer praising him. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. We have his disciples saying, we'll never leave your side, specifically Peter. Peter is like, I'll never leave you. And he's like, you're gonna deny me three times, right? And so, and so at the end of the story, what happens is Jesus is found guilty, right? Found guilty for claiming to be God. And he hangs on a cross. The world goes dark dark after this brutal beating that he takes and this crucifixion, it goes dark. And we have the last words in chapter 15 that Jesus speaks. The last words spoken from Mark's account is Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He breathes his last. They take his body down. They lay him in a rich man's tomb and they roll a huge stone over it, right? Now you are completely caught up. Right? That's to the point of what's happened in Mark. So let's pick up in chapter 16, verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, that was Saturday for them, right? Saturday, that was their holy day. When the Sabbath was passed, he died on a Friday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. I was talking to a friend who said, Jeff, when you're grieving, you're only doing the next right thing. That's all you know to do. And so she's lost people that she loves and her family. She's like, Jeff, I've been through this. Like you just do the next thing you know to do. And that's what the, the women are doing at this point. They're just doing the next thing they know to do. Like we need to go and make sure that he was properly prepared for burial. We didn't get to do that because it happened at an hour that didn't allow for that. Then we had a whole day that we couldn't do any work or buy anything. And so we need to just do the next right thing. But I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine being close friends with Jesus, giving up everything to follow him and walking down to the tomb and just knowing you're going to see him one more time. But you're not walking filled with hope, thinking you're going to see Jesus as you knew him. You're going to see a brutalized, beaten body. And imagine what those conversations were like. Have you ever been to a funeral where, where there's, there's tears, but there's also laughter? Like, do you imagine that they, they cried on the way there? But what do you think they laughed about? Do you imagine that they're like finding themselves just remembering, like remember when he talked about the plank and how confusing that was? Like, yeah, like, and like and they're laughing, but there's all of these emotions to the point that they're not thinking straight, right? They're not thinking clearly. Look at verse three. It says, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. It's like, we, we haven't even been thinking about how we're logistically gonna move this huge stone to do the very thing that we came to do, right? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So this had to have been a confusing moment, right? They're like, what in the world? Like the stone is rolled back. What's going on here? Are we at the wrong tomb? Is someone else here? Verse five, it says, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, 
dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I would say I'd be pretty freaked out. Like, this is an angel. They're like, what in the world? And so, by the way, Pelly is welcome to hang with us. Sturgill's like, just bring her in. All right, so... I love kids. If you, ever, if you ever have a kid here and they're making noise, just know that I would much rather have kids noisy than not kids at all because that could be the life of a church, like dead. Right? So just know kids are always welcome here and I love it. Verse five, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. They're freaked out because here's an angel. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So they see an angel and he reminds them of the gospel. He's like, you're looking for Jesus. Like you're looking for Jesus. Remember, he, he was crucified. He laid down his life as a ransom for many. Like he was crucified. This is where they laid him. He was buried, but he rose again. Right? They're reminding that he's not there. This is one of the most incredible things about Christianity, that Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of times people wonder why we do not know where Jesus' grave is. It's like, it's in Jerusalem, but we don't know the exact location. If you go to Israel and try to find their speculation, we think this is where Jesus was buried, but no one really knows because the early church didn't make a big deal of Jesus' grave. The early church did not make a big deal of Jesus's grave. When, um, when I, I used to live in Louisville, Kentucky, and, um, and there was a cemetery down the road for me, and it was an awesome cemetery, which I don't think that goes well. Like, awesome cemetery? What are you talking about? Right? It was beautiful. You would go jog through there. Um, there were benches. You're like, I just want to grab a book and go sit and read in this cemetery, which sounds weird. But in this cemetery, there was one particular grave that people loved to see. Right? And Google Maps didn't exist back then, so you had to hop online and find directions and print them out. You're like, turn right at this random stone. When you see that creepy tree, like take a left. Like, but you'd get to the center of this place and there was a huge statue and people would find this grave and they would post up with it, like and get their picture taken. Right? Like, like, let's get a picture with this grave. And you're wondering, like, what in the world? What are you talking about? It was Colonel Sanders. Right, like in the middle of this grave was Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken. He was buried in the middle of this in the cemetery, and they had a huge statue by his by his by his graveside by the tomb. And it was it was like we they memorialized the tomb of the colonel. Right now, people know that's exactly where he was buried. Why don't we? If we know where Colonel Sanders was buried, why don't we know where Jesus was buried? The burial place of Jesus wasn't a big deal to the early church because that's not where you meet Jesus. You can't meet Jesus at the tomb because he's not there, because he's alive, all right? So this is a big deal. The angel's like, he's not here. This isn't where you meet Jesus. You don't meet Jesus in an empty tomb. You meet Jesus elsewhere because he is living, all right? So after he tells them that they're not there, he gives instructions. Verse seven, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. I just want to stop there real quick. Peter gets a nod, okay? There's, there were 12 disciples. One's dead, Judas. He was the traitor, right? The other 11, like imagine you're the other, like you're, you're the other 10. And like, go tell the 10. And Peter's like, why does Peter get a shout out? Like, what in the world? Is Peter special? All right, here's the deal. Peter probably failed Jesus more so than any other disciple. Like if you're like, if you're rating or weighing out, like who is the biggest like failure like, I would say Peter dropped the ball more so than anybody else. I mean, he was the bold one. I'll never leave you. And he's like, I'm embarrassed of this guy, right? Jesus mentions his name for a reason because Jesus wants Peter to know. 
This is, I call this the Peter nod. I have a note card on my desk that says the Peter nod because here's what he wants Peter to know. He's like, no matter how big your failures or how big your faults or how many your faults, I will never give up on you. Like that, that's true of Peter. Jesus wants Peter to know no matter how big your failures, no matter how many your faults, I will never give up on you. And that's true of Peter. That's true of you. Jesus gives you the nod too. It doesn't matter how big your failures are. It doesn't matter how many your faults are. Jesus will never give up on you. That's what the empty tomb guarantees for you. It's such beautiful news, right? So he says, go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Like take note of that, that phrase, going before. He's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Right, that phrase, go before, it's a military term that's used for a commander making an advance. Right? So at this point, Jesus hasn't been the conquering king. He's been the suffering servant. But now he's risen victoriously from the grave, and there's a shift in Jesus' role. Right? So now think of him as a commander that's making an advance. You see, the empty tomb isn't the end of the story. It's the start of a new beginning where Jesus is advancing his kingdom to change the world, right? So Jesus now, he is going before like a commander to advance his kingdom, and he's inviting us to meet with him in that journey, right? Now, verse 8, they've been given instructions to go and tell something, but let's see how they respond. And they went out, this is the women, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's the story, and that's how it ends. For a story that's supposed to be good news, this seems a little bit dissatisfying. Instead of ending with a joyful reunion, instead of ending with verifiable evidence to support the claim that he is not here, instead of ending with Jesus being present and offering assurance and comfort to his followers, Mark ends the story with, with, with trembling and fear. That seems a little bit weird for a story that's supposed to be good news. So now you can maybe see like people are like, yeah, maybe they forgot something. Maybe we should paint some clothes on the picture, if you will. Because it seems like, why would the story end there? All right, but I'm telling you, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Now, a couple of nights ago, I couldn't sleep. And I woke up at like 2 a.m. just tossing and turning. And my mind was going. And I was thinking, like, I'm not going to go back to sleep. So I went and watched Netflix. And you know, Netflix gives you a percentage of like what, a, what match it's going to be. It was like 77% match. And I was like, okay. So I was like, close enough. So I watched a movie called Mile 22. It had Marky Mark in it. And I was like, his body's healthy. His mind keeps him wealthy. Like I'm going to watch this show because he's, he's the funky bunch. Like half of our congregation. <laughs> like, all right, Marky Mark used to be a rapper, Mark Wahlberg. And so anyways, so, so Mark Wahlberg, I was like, I like him. He's a good actor. I'm going to watch this movie. I watched it. And it ended, and I found myself going, what just happened? I was like, what, what in the world? And so I Googled. I was like, mile 22 ending, thinking maybe I fell asleep and didn't know it. Maybe I missed something. And it turns out all the reviews are like, yeah, this movie was horrible. I was like, okay. So I didn't miss anything. It was just a bad story. So here's the deal. Either Mark is a bad storyteller, right? like whoever wrote mile 22, or he's way ahead of the game. He's way ahead of your Martin Scorsese's. He's a way ahead of your Christopher Nolan's. And I'm telling you, he didn't mess this up. He's not a bad storyteller. This was genius. All right, so here's what we know. Here's what we know. So Mark, 
All right, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was written by John Mark. All right, John Mark was a traveling companion to Paul who wrote almost all of the New Testament um, or most of the New Testament. And he's also a traveling companion of Peter. Peter, who's the guy that got the special nod. All right, so Mark's source of information the guy that told Mark all of the stuff to write was Peter. Like Peter wasn't the best writer. And so Mark writes on his behalf. So this is actually Peter's account of Jesus's life told or scribed through Mark. So why is that important? Well, if Peter told Mark what to write, that means that the women must have told Peter. So it ends with them being fearful and saying nothing but the fact that we're holding the story in our hands means that that wasn't the end of their story. They continued on and fulfilled their mission. They continued on. And so that means that they didn't, they didn't stop here. So the story ends like this because it forces us to do the forensic work of saying what happened and to realize that this story doesn't end here at all. It actually begins here. You see, this is not the end of the story as much as it is the beginning of the story of what Jesus came to do and how he's inviting us to meet with him so that we can continue to do what he's always been doing. I think, think about this. There are things that people love to share and there are things that people hate to share, right? Like the easiest thing for the women to do would be to, to, to be comfortable by saying nothing. Because if you have to say something that's uncomfortable, like, like the easiest thing to do is to, to stay comfortable, to not say a word. But there are things that we love to share and there's things that we hate to share. You know what people hate to share? When I was a kid, if I ever got a chain letter, I was like, oh, like, like I don't want to continue the chain letter. I don't want to write. Like if you received a chain letter, you did it because you felt like you were failing someone. So if I don't, if I don't continue this, the world's going to end, right? So now chain letters don't exist, but you have people on social media that will put a picture up of Jesus. And it's like, if you love Jesus, you'll share this post. And you're like, oh, like I do love Jesus, but I don't want to share this post. Like, and, but you do it out of guilt, right? Have you ever done the, the, what, there's probably a term for this. Like there's a social media term of guilting people to the chain letter social media share, right? People don't wanna share that stuff, but they will because they feel guilty. But you know, there's other things that people love to share. People love to share a picture that makes them look good. If you take a picture and you're like, man, like lighting was good there. Like you're like, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna share this. People love to share their opinions, political opinions. You're like, I think I'm right. Like people will share that. People love to share their, their COVID vaccine card. It's like, did it, right? Like, you can be around me, I'm safe, right? Like, you, you, like, people love to share things like that. People love to share, you know, fun stories or to share social causes that they believe are good, that they want other people to know about. There are things that we love to share, things that we hate to share, all right? But we will because we feel guilty. What happened is these women eventually shared the story to continue it, right? And this story is inviting us to do the same, to step in and to now share the same story to continue it. But there's a chance that you might share that because you feel guilty and I want you to share it because you love it. And here's how to share it in a way that you love it. You see, in the same way that Jesus invited the disciples to meet him in Galilee, he's inviting you to meet with him today. Jesus is inviting you to meet with him today, whether you're meeting with him again and again and again, or maybe you're meeting with him for the first time ever. 
Or maybe you're hearing him calling you to, inviting you to meet with him for the first time in a long time. But the more that you accept that invitation to meet with Jesus as he's inviting you in, the more you'll be blown away by the truth that he lived a life you couldn't live, died to death that you deserve, and rose victoriously from the grave, not just to give you hope into the future, but to give you hope today. And the more that that truth captivates your heart, the more you'll find yourself wanting to continue this story by inviting others into it as well. And that's the invitation today. The invitation of the empty tomb is for you to go and meet with Jesus. So will you meet with Jesus today? Will you meet with Jesus whether you're meeting with him all the time? Will you keep it up? Or maybe you're here today and you're like, Jeff, I'm the skeptic, I'm the doubter, I'm the seeker. I'm telling you, Jesus is speaking to you and saying, maybe you're going, Jeff, you don't know my failures. Jeff, you don't know my faults. Jeff, like, I feel like I've ruined God's plan by what I've done. And I'm telling you, the tomb, the empty tomb says that's not the end of your story. God will use you in the same way that he used Peter and used these women to do incredible things. Will you meet with Jesus today? Maybe you're going, Jeff, I haven't met with Jesus in a really long time. I'm here, but I'm just kind of going through the motions. Hear Jesus inviting you. Think about this. Peter got the nod. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Here's what I want you to do. Hear your name. Hear your name. Think, get your name in your mind right now. And Jesus said, go and tell the disciples and Jeff and Sarah and John and Shannon and hear your name mentioned today. Jesus is inviting you to meet with him. Will you meet with him today? God, thank you for the empty tomb. God, we are here today as people that don't have hope on our own. God, our failures add up. (laughs) Our shortcomings can, can weigh on us more than we would like to admit God, as we look at plans um, and think about your plans, it's easy to fall into this trap of thinking that we've ruined them. But God, we know that you take the crooked lines of our lives and you can paint straight with them. That you're, you're telling a better story and that's what you're inviting us into. God, and so help us to, to meet with you today in a way that we are captivated by the beauty of the cross and the resurrection, in a way that we would long to bring others into the story as we've been brought into the story. God, do a work that only you can do. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.